Well, it's nice to be with you this morning. I just come to read the scriptures just now in Matthew chapter 13. Just back from a week in Northern Ireland where I'm, where I'm from. Um, we haven't met before. I come from a little, just outside a little town called Ballymoney in County Antrim, Northern Ireland. And just back from there this week and yesterday actually on the boat. And um, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought on preaching this message today, but um, just, just this past week I had opportunity to be, to be back where we, where we were set up, where our home was. We had built a house outside Balamoney, and my wife and I and two, two children were living there. I, I, I worked in civil engineering, and um, probably the thing, one of the things that I enjoyed the most was to help my uncle on a farm, uh, just as a kind of a hobby, a, a Saturday job, that sort of thing, and done it all throughout my life. And it was back in that, it was back in the house that we had built this past week, just connecting with those that rent it. Um, I was back on the farm uh, seeking to meet up with my uncle, and I just brought it back. Um, what we had done in 2012, God called us to, to leave that and to come to Faith Mission Bible College and to serve Him in full-time gospel work. And uh, just as I saw, as I sat in our own house, as I walked around the farm, not much had changed in the six years. I could easily plug right back into where we were. And I just thought coming back on the boat yesterday and driving into Gilmerton in the south end of, in the south side of Edinburgh, very, very different from rural County Antrim, I needed to remind myself as to why we were, why we are where we are, and what is, what is the reason that you would give something up? Um, because we receive more back. And that, this uh, parable will lead us into that truth. And so I preach it to myself this morning and um, maybe there'll be something for you as, as I do that. But let's read in from Matthew 13 right through. Um, we'll read the parable of the sower, we'll read the parable of the weeds. So I'll be jumping about in terms of the verses, but I'll tell you where we're going. So Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out, to the, out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him and that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shadow, shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And then he goes on to explain that. Verse 24 then, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The parable of the mustard seed, then 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. 
Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it is worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And then the one we want to look at. So these different aspects of the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is like and what we'll focus on today is verse 40, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Amen. And may God bless this reading. Well, it's nice to be with you. And if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 13, it will probably be helpful. It's a short parable and you probably remember it, but we might look at one or two details. Um, what, is, what is Jesus worth to you? This passage tells me that if I, if I had to give up everything, if you had to give up everything you called your own to have Jesus, He would be worth it. It would be worth it because He is of greater value than anything. It's quite a statement quite a statement, particularly for us in a materialistic world. We value so much of what, what we have, our stuff. So, if you had no home, and you had no car, and you had no money, and you had no job, and you lost your reputation among your friends, and you lost your family, even your family, to get Jesus, you would have more. He would be, he would be worth it. That's what this parable says. That's what Jesus is teaching these young disciples who might have to give up many things in their lives. Let me take you to Southeast Asia to try and uh, inform our minds a little bit to get us thinking in the right categories. Southeast Asia is a region just to the south of China. It's a peninsula that includes uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Burma, and Laos. Laos is one of the few remaining communist states in one of, the, one of the world's poorest countries. It's home to about six million people, so it compares fairly well with Scotland. It gained the independence from France in 1954, and since 1975 it has been under communist rule. During that time, the church has suffered greatly. There are restrictions on evangelism, public evangelism, they can't do it. They can't build churches. They can't have links with foreign organizations, however they manage themselves within their own country. That's all they can have. Communist persecution was sharp in the mid-1970s and has returned since the late 1990s with the government aiming to completely eradicate the church in Laos. But they have known revival. They knew revival in 1990 and in 1997. The number of Christians has grown from approximately 10,000 who remained in 1975 when communist rule came in to over 80,000 Christians in the country today. Most evangelicals function in secret. When whole villages turn to the Lord, as 
Sometimes they did during the revival and even since. The government strategy is to evict them. They are transported with no notice and with no belongings, absolutely nothing, into remote jungle areas and just abandoned. Why would you become a Christian in a country like that? When the government is against you and there is a risk that you'll lose your home and your livelihood and maybe even your life. Why? Well, this parable teaches us because even if you lost everything, Jesus is worth more. What is it that we get then by following Jesus that makes Him worth more? It's one of the reasons why I read these, these other parables that give us other aspects of being part of the kingdom of heaven, to try and inform our minds as to what we actually get when we have Jesus. The parable of the, of the seed and the sower speaks of the good seed that produces true life, shown and demonstrated by fruitfulness. So one of, the, one of the great benefits in being a Christian, being one who is depending on Jesus, is that we get life. Other seed uh, was spread in areas where it did not grow. But the good seed, the life that uh, emerges to be a fruitful life, to be a truly Christian uh, life is one that has this life and fruitfulness. What a benefit of knowing Jesus. What a benefit of being a Christian to have a life that can never be extinguished. To have a life that though we pass through the doorway of death, that life goes on and on for us. Probably one of the greatest benefits of being a Christian. The, the, the next parable leads us into that a little bit more, the parable of the wheat and the tares. It explains the disturbing truth that to have Jesus uh, means that you go to God's barn, but to be without Jesus means that you go for burning. It's a parable of polar opposites. But one of the benefits, though living in Laos, trusting in Christ, the government can take everything from you. To have Jesus in the end is worth more because you go to God's barn rather than going for burning. The parable of the mustard seed gives us one of the, one of the benefits that uh, Jason was alluding to when he was praying for this school and these people in India. We're part of something bigger. One of the benefits of being a Christian even in Scotland, when we're such a minority people. We have brothers and sisters. We have family across the world. And it's a lesson that, underlines, that underlies all the parables, is that we're part of a kingdom where Jesus is the king, and our king is over all earthly powers. Again, as Jason alluded to in his opening comments this past week, we've seen some of the, some of the uh, world powers flex their muscles and show their faces to the world. But above those guys is our King, who is greater than it all. So let's get back to the case study in Laos, a person in Laos who obeys the government and rejects Christ. 
He doesn't receive life, and he cannot even start on this fruitful life with Jesus. He's destined not for the barn, but for the burning. And he's outside of this great multinational community where Jesus is the king. Why would you choose Jesus? Because he's worth more. Let's look at some some aspects of the parable. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, simply put, it's it's an eternal community, a never-ending community of people where Jesus is the king. Jesus, Jesus is the king and we are the kingdom. Jesus is the king and he has all his followers all over the world who worship him and listen to his voice. Just imagine in your head Jesus sitting as king over North Lanarkshire with virtual communication lines running from him, connecting him with all the Christians around this area, even over this church. Jesus is the king. He will be the king of some of us. Might not be the king of all. You might not have bowed to him, submitted to him. You might not consider him worth the cost. But I suggest for the majority here this morning, Christians, Jesus is your king. The Christians, as we spread out tomorrow, it won't look like this. There'll be Christians in business, there'll be Christians on farms, there'll be Christians in healthcare, there'll be Christians in construction, there'll be Christians working in their kitchens at home, there'll be Christians all over the area. One thing in common, He is our King, and we're listening to Him. So, it's a parable that, uh, that leads us into one particular aspect of this, where Jesus is the King, and we're, what is the kingdom of heaven like? How do, how, do we, how, do, how do we become part of His kingdom? Well, the whole concept of Jesus as King gives us a clue. We have to bow before Him. We have to repent and uh, turn away from our own self-governance and submit to Him as the ruling authority in our lives. When we're born, we basically rule over our own affairs. We do our own thing. We take orders from no one. See that particularly when young, young folk that are not Christians get into their teenage years, they begin to uh, flex their muscles and have their own authority. We're self-governing. We have our own autonomy. You see it even much younger than that, a little two-year-old trying to assert themselves within the home. So, if we start out as self-governing and Jesus wishes to be king of His followers, then a big change is needed we're to become part of His kingdom. That's why Jesus' message for entrance to the kingdom was repent, turn from yourself and your own rule, and bow before Him as the Savior and King. As followers of Christ, we listen to His voice and do what He says. I suppose it's worth asking the question, is that how your life looks today? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus as your King? Does your life have a higher ruling authority, or are you still self-governing? You'll find this, we'll try and bring this out a little bit, but you'll find this, this new king to be much better than the old. Once it was an old master who promised the world but couldn't deliver. 
In Christ we have a master who is gracious, loving, and kind. One of the beautiful things, we must never forget this about gospel truth, one of the beautiful things is in this parable when the man um, finds the treasure in the field, he hides it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had. It isn't a forced thing, it's a joyful thing to give up in order to get because what we get is greater. How could it possibly be joyful to give up everything that you valued? Well, the key is in the line of the song that we sometimes sing, sing one, all I once thought gain. I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Finding Jesus, coming to Jesus is worth more. You know the concept of a young fella thinking of leaving home and thinking of leaving his mother's, coming out from his mother's table and setting up a home somewhere else. It's a bit of a wrench, but it's filled with joy because what you're getting is, is more suitable for you. It's made for you in the years to come. Another aspect, there's two parables really here. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. So, the, 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 the concept in the first one, the two parables are essentially saying the same thing, but one stumbled upon the treasure, it would seem, and the other has spent a long time searching. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He has been looking for this for a long time, whereas the fellow that's walking through the field just stumbles upon it. That's how it is so often. People, sometimes people come to faith in Christ the first day they hear about Him. We get to work a little bit in Edinburgh with Paul James Griffiths, who used to work with Edinburgh City Mission, London City Mission, and then Edinburgh City Mission. And he runs a, cult, a Christian heritage center in St. Columbus Free Church at the top end of the Royal Mile. And he will testify year after year to, to tourists coming in from China and uh, spending the day with him in the Christian heritage center uh, looking at the, at the different aspects of our Christian heritage in Edinburgh and in Scotland, and hearing the gospel, some will come to faith there and then. It's almost as if accidentally they have stumbled upon the gospel, embraced it and heard it almost, almost immediately. But for many of us, it's, it comes after a long period of searching where, where we spend so much of our lives looking for that thing that will satisfy us only to discover in the end that it's to be, to be heard in the gospel, it's to be found in Jesus, who we've perhaps been familiar with for a long time. We're doing a tent mission in the highlands of Scotland um, just back at the end of May, the second last night of that mission, a lady... Um, was in tears as she left the tent and went home and sought the Lord um, just in the quietness of her own home, and she became a Christian later in life, and her testimony since has, seem, has seeming to prove that that is a genuine reality in her life, but she sat on the fringes of church. She was involved in, in many charitable and good causes for 70 years of her life, and yet later in life, she has come to find the precious pearl that she's been searching for all along. 
Some uh, stumble upon the kingdom. Others, after a long search, come. So, as we think about this, Laos is remote from us. People over there live their lives, and I've suggested to you that some consider Christ worth more than anything, but that's, that's thousands of miles away. There's a couple of different aspects of what we're talking about, where, where we're coming to Jesus as our King, where it's a joyful thing to give up and to get, but let's, let's, let's bring it a little bit closer to us. Let's ask ourselves the question, what is the cost for you of following Jesus? And have you been prepared to pay that cost? We, we could go to Matthew 5 for the cost. We could go to the Beatitudes. They suggest that, to, that uh, those that enter into the kingdom are the poor in spirit, those who are humble. That is one of the biggest costs for us, particularly one of the biggest costs for older people who have established themselves and perhaps established themselves in their lives without Jesus. One of the biggest challenges for an older person to come to Christ is to humble themselves, to admit that we're hopeless, helpless sinners, to admit that before this great King, we are sinful and unclean. But we must remember the general tone of the parable that what you get will be greater. If you're prepared to come humbly and admit that you're a sinner, what you will get in terms of forgiveness for that sin, life with Christ, a welcome into His family, will be greater. Some of us are scared that we might not be a good advertisement for Jesus. But in Jesus, we find help. We're given the strength to live a life worthy of the calling. For many of us, um, maybe there's a bitterness that holds us back. Maybe some um, difficulty with a, with a Christian in our past hinders us from coming, and yet in Christ there's a freedom and there's a release that enables us to forgive that makes the whole thing possible. Maybe we're scared that old friends might laugh at us or exclude us, and so they might, but what we get will be greater because we're welcomed into the church, we're welcomed into the family of God, into a new and loving community. said it was back in Balamone, and a story that I, that I know, maybe not so much from the town, but just from a local man. He had a haulage business. He came to a point where, where he began to hear God's voice calling him. But for him, the cost, he had identified the cost. The cost for him would be, would be financial. It would mean bringing his lorries off the road on a Sunday, he thought. 
He wasn't prepared for the cost. As far as I know, he didn't come to Christ, and he hasn't come to Christ. But wouldn't God be able to make up for it somehow? Because the theme of the parable, we, 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 we receive more in coming to Jesus than anything we ever have to sell. preaching on, uh, or on the story of Zacchaeus recently, and um, Zacchaeus is a good example. He had to change his whole lifestyle. He had to pay back a lot of money that he had stolen. But the amazing thing is that he did it gladly because he knew that with Jesus, he began to discover that with Jesus, he was getting more to have a friend like Jesus was worth more than the friends he was, than the life he was preserving for himself by stealing from those around him. What, what is the cost for you who are not a Christian? What would be holding you back? What on earth would you consider to be more precious than to get the life that Jesus offers? To have forgiveness written over your life, to be welcomed into the family of God, and to have and eternal security. What would be worth more? What would hold you by? What would hinder you from coming? And we could ask, and we could apply this also for the Christian. What is the cost for you, Christian, of being part of a Jesus-ruled community? Could it be that, could it be, Christian, that the King is showing you something in your life, even as you listen to a parable like this, that you would need to be giving up to continue to follow Him? So I alluded to in my opening comments, in 2010 through to about 2012, it was very clear to my wife and I that God was putting a call in our lives to go to faith mission and to do what we're currently doing. I had a simple choice to make. Either I just uh, remove myself from Christian obedience and kind of just sit in a back pew somewhere and die, or I follow what He's asking me to do. And sometimes God brings the cost to us again, and we must continually return to this parable to remind ourselves that whatever God would be asking us to give up as we follow Jesus in a pathway of discipleship where He is the King, what we will get back in having Christ and having fellowship with Christ is more. And one of the ways that I think we need to apply this as Christians is that it's not so much, as I've alluded to in that, in, in, in that suggestion from my own life, it's not so much that if we begin to fixate on other things that we had once sold, as it were, it's not so much that we lose Christ, but we lose the joy of Christ. Let me try and explain that to you. Um, during this during this past week, my, my reason for being in Northern Ireland was to help my sister and brother-in-law who were building a house. So, my whole mind during the past week was bricks and mortar and uh, property, and um, we were putting in Joyce's and, 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 you know, replacing Joyce's in an, in an old house that 
that uh, needed new everything. And um, so that's what I've been doing. As well as that, um, I get to, in, in the evenings, we were just going around to visit some family and friends and find myself in some other houses, lovely houses. There's so many of these uh, detached dwellings in rural Northern Ireland, they just seem delightful in many ways. But as we think about this and, 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 and think about, about selling or giving up everything in order to have Christ, I think the Christian needs to be continually reminded of this parable. Because even as Christians, we are apt to take up things other than Christ and fixate on them again, and we lose out on the joy. We, le- we lose out on the, on the purity of our worship and the delight that we would receive if Christ had the very heart of our devotion. It could go back to that idea of, of uh, stuff, bricks and mortar and property. Going around these houses, you, you see thousands of pounds pumped into oak trims and granite worktops and fine furniture and matching decor and luxurious carpet. You go outside the house and whole summers can be spent creating gardens and maintaining gardens. And, and in all of that, there's something good and needful because God didn't, didn't make the climate as it is in the UK and then ask us to live in tents. It just wouldn't work. And yet somehow, if we're going to be Christians living in, as part of the kingdom of God, we have to walk a fine line between need and indulgence, between fixating on the stuff and somehow setting the pearl on the shelf. Otherwise, we'll lose out on the joy of being Christian. Um, when a man found it, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. He sold all he had and bought that field in order to have it. But the pearl, the pearl teaches us something as to what our orientation ought to be as Christians. When he found a pearl of great value, He sold everything else. He set everything else to the side to some degree in order to fixate on the precious pearl, which is Jesus. Let's move away from stuff to try and explain it in terms of success, another idol of our day, another thing that would take our attention off the precious pearl, our own success. God God has given us drive. God has given us desire to succeed. That is not all fallen. Some of it is is part of the original makeup of of the created order of us. He has given us a, a desire for success, for growth, for gain. And some of it we must use to fulfill our mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. But when we pursue success for our own name, 
We've missed the mark and we've sinned somewhere along the line. And the intention that we were given drive and desire is intended that we would, that, 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 that would help us to give all that we can towards His kingdom, towards the kingdom of heaven and His good rule in this world. Look at it from another dimension, a big idol of my generation, those in their 20s and 30s today, I believe, is family. So much of time and money is spent on leisure for the family, family time. But at the heart of family is a pointer to the family of God. Marriage points us to the glory of God, the, the Christ and His bride. Fatherhood points, shows us some of the protection and provision of the Lord for His people. Right at the heart of family is the delight in relationships. But we'll stop short of getting the full redemptive value of family if we fixate on our own little family units and try to satisfy ourselves there rather than uh, using family and directing family as as uh, godly parents and grandparents towards worship of the living God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Jesus is worth more, and in worshiping Jesus, you will receive more whether in this life or the world to come. Sometimes the cost is high, but the benefits of knowing Christ far outstrip the costs. Do you believe in a God who just wants to take from us and never gives anything back? No, it wouldn't matter what you have to give up. To have Jesus will be worth more. If you're not a Christian this morning, I don't know what would be holding you back, but don't let it hold you back because Jesus is worth more. If you are a Christian today and perhaps you have lost out on a bit of the joy of being a Christian, I suggest it might be because you have set the precious pearl on the shelf, as it were, as a trophy of what brought you into the church in the past or as a kind of a pension plan for the future. And you have forgotten the delight of orientating your life so as there's time for the the true worship, the reading, the praying, the life of devotion that that, uh, delights in the precious pearl. The only worth, the only life that is truly rewarding is a life that is orientated towards Christ and recognizes Him as King. I hope, I hope that makes sense, and it encourages and challenges me, and I trust it does the same for you. May God bless.